The Mystical Underground and Rob McGregor present an audio production of Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings. beneath the canopy. It felt as if the jungle were breathing, and it was a living, conscious creature slowly wrapping its multitude of arms around them. The lush surroundings seemed closer than a minute ago, and the patterns of leaves formed faces that peered at them. Snakes blended into the verdant landscape and hung from every branch like Christmas tree decorations, ready to drop on them as they passed by. Are you all right? Archie asked. Indy snapped out of his reverie. Yeah, I was just thinking that we've been watched. That we've been under scrutiny since we started following this trail. By what? Archie asked, looking around. Animals? Creatures? Ghost people? Indy peered into the dense forest. Imagine the descendants of the mysterious sect of Mayans, who had reached the bottom of Central America, still living here, guarding the temple, ready to kill whoever entered their domain. We could always follow the river back until we reach the tributary and wait for McNulty, the drunken pilot, to arrive, Jacques suggested. I didn't fall over a waterfall and nearly drowned three times, just so we could turn back, Indy said. I gotta find that pyramid. I'm with you, Maggie said. Yes, yes, I agree, Archie added. If we turn back now, we meet Magnus Voller and his Nazi gang again. Jacques shrugged. Indy could tell he would prefer going back, but he joined the others in agreement. Fine, then let's stick together and move on. I'll take the lead, Archie said. I know quite a bit about booby traps. I studied them. I even made them myself. Yeah, I know. It seemed like only yesterday when Indy was dealing with Archie's traps, he thought, following Archie around the deadly pit. As they continued on, Indy wondered why... Kingston hadn't told him about the ghost people. Maybe Kingston had some arrangement with them that allowed him to visit the pyramid. He just hoped it extended to him and the others. Stop! Archie shouted and Indy nearly bumped into him. What is it? Archie stepped aside, revealing a skull impaled on a post, and below it, the double cross crescent moon star symbol. Indy examined the skull and the symbol, trying to determine how recently They'd been added to the scenery along the trail. Suddenly, something colorful moved inside the skull, and Indy wrenched back as a bright orange and black coral snake slithered out one eye socket and into the other one. No doubt, another warning. I guess we're on the right path. Speaking of the path, take a look at it, Archie said. Beyond the post and skull, the path widened and was paved with flagstones. This will make it easier. I bet it goes right to the pyramid, Maggie said. Not so fast, Archie cautioned. Agreed. Take a close look, 
Some of the stones were marked with the same symbol for protection. Again, Indy figured it wasn't for their protection. Do we step on the marked ones or avoid them? Archie asked. Indy rubbed the back of his sweaty neck. I say no. Nobody likes people walking on their flag. Then again, it could be a trick, Maggie said. With that, she walked ahead, paying no mind to the markings on the stone until she passed the last marked stone. What are you doing, Indy? Indy shouted and ducked, expecting darts, arrows, spears, snakes. Nothing happened. She turned and smiled. Come on, boys. You're nuts, Indy shook his head. You could have gotten us all killed, but I didn't. Archie quickly joined her. How did you know it was okay, he asked. They're stones, right? They need weight to trigger anything. I'm light, and I was the first. She glanced back at Indian, Jock. I wouldn't want to be last, though. Indy smiled. Thanks. He studied the stones again, looking for a pattern. Jock, how about if I go first and step on the blank stones? If I make it, you follow. Jock shook his head. Uh, no need for you to sacrifice yourself. I'll go first, and you follow. Before Indy had a chance to reply, Chuck walked ahead and motioned to Indy. Blank stones, no problem. Not for you, at least. The blank stones looked low, lower now, as if they dropped a couple of inches. Or was he imagining it? The jungle was impenetrable, a riot of interwoven vines and tropical shrubbery choking off a few trees, making it impossible to walk around the trail. He noticed an overhanging branch and smiled as he loosened his whip, unfurled it, and snapped it around the branch. Be right there, he called out and swung across. He released his whip from the branch, and as he reeled it in, a gray-colored oval object the size of a basketball dropped from the tree. Within seconds, a dark cloud of angry wasps emerged. They lurched ahead, forgetting any concern about booby traps. In their rush to get away, they veered off the trail which probably saved them, Indy thought as they finally came to a stop. They were free of the wasps, but as they moved on, they couldn't find any markings on the trail or any sign of the trail. They struggled on through the jungle, the high canopy, forming a roof above them where monkeys roamed and occasionally screamed at them. The sun was setting when they reached a stream. A log rested along the shore, inviting spot to relieve his aching feet. Indy thought. They decided to hang the pair of hammocks Jock had salvaged and would sleep in shifts for the night, two sleeping, the other two on watch. Darkness collapsed around them. The roar of a jaguar echoed through the jungle. Leaves rustled. The night came alive with sounds, insects, frogs, fish splashing in the stream, other animal sounds. Maggie tied one of the hammocks between a pair of red-skinned gumbo limbo trees and crawled inside of it. Delicious, she murmured, settling in. Jacques claimed the second hammock, since he'd had foresight to pack them. I think we're lost, Indy, Archie said as he settled on the log. Across from him, Indy leaned against a tree and bit off a piece of beef jerky. But we're alive. Indy tried to sound optimistic, even though he felt anything but right now. Look at it this way. We've got water now as well as the fruit that we picked. And besides, there's always tomorrow. Ah, uh, Indy, I'm glad we have time to talk because there's something I haven't told you about the material Professor Kingston left me. 
Yeah, what's that? I really wanted you to take this journey, so I removed a letter he'd written as a warning about the ghost people. You did what? So sorry. I was going to tell you about it in Kata, but uh, then Maggie knocked you out and I simply forgot. Yeah, glad you remembered. What did he say? They're dangerous. And they'll do everything they can to protect the pyramid. But he said you would know what to do. And he brushed something off his neck that was tickling him. How did he deal with them? He didn't say. Maybe he thought it best for you to figure it out on your own. That figures. Another test to prove my worthiness, I suppose. Kingston always had tests for him. Challenges to overcome. Not to upset you further, but you should come sit on the log right here. Right now, I think. And he froze. Why? There's something crawling over your head, Archie squinted. I can't see what it is, but... And he realized he'd wiped part of a spider's web off his neck. He jumped, spun around, and came face to face with a pair of fist-sized hairy arachnids engaged in a frantic dance on a web. He quickly backed away. Thank you, I don't need spiders copulating on my head. Jock, still awake, sat up at the mention of the spiders cavorting near his hammock. Oh yes, watch closely. The female is going to bite off the head of the male after they complete the act. Very interesting mating contact, don't you think, Indy? Reminds me of a certain lady from my past. If those spiders are the greatest danger we face, I'll be very pleased, Archie said. His comment was followed by a loud shriek of a large cat somewhere nearby and an answering snarl from another cat. A few minutes later, something large splashed in the stream behind them. A chill raced up Indy's spine. What was that? Archie whispered. Probably a peccary. Archie stood up. Oh no, not those pigs. As long as it's alone, it won't bother us. And he hoped he was right. Or it could have been a caiman or a croc, I suppose, Jacques said. Despite the warmth of the air, the chill in Indy's spine spread throughout the rest of his body. I don't think we'll fall asleep on our watch with all the action around here. Wrong. The next thing Indy knew, it was done. And the watch had never changed. He and Archie had both fallen asleep, seated on the ground, heads resting on their arms, which were wrapped over the log. Archie snored next to him. Maggie and Jock slept comfortably in the hammocks. He listened to their breathing, his eyes begging to close, his body complaining about the position in which he'd slept. A crick in his neck, a cramp in his shoulder. Next time, he would claim one of the hammocks, he decided, and shut his eyes again. Suddenly he heard the soft crunch of Leah's sticks. Another animal? He lifted his head, the sound stopped. Once again, he sensed they were being watched. The skin on the back of his neck prickled. Goose flesh erupted on his arms. He wasn't sure if it was human or animal until he heard the whispering. Eleven, the Lost Pyramid. Indy feigned sleep, one hand on his knife, waiting, expecting an attack. Hard to believe that Magnus Voler could have found them already. Besides, subtlety wasn't Voler's way. He would have charged into the camp by now. Maybe he'd just imagined the footsteps and the whispers, or maybe it was the ghost people trying to spook him. Finally, he sat up, looked around. He couldn't be certain they were alone. 
But he couldn't sit here all day waiting for an assault from an invisible enemy either. He shook Archie's shoulder. He gave the two hammocks a gentle shove. After a few grunts and groans and stretching, everyone started talking at once, apologizing for not waking up. It's too late to worry about it, Indy said. Let's get going. What about breakfast, Archie asked. We can't make a fire to cook, Maggie said. It's too dangerous. But we don't have to cook to eat, Jacques responded and passed out some tropical fruits. Indy bit into a plum-like fruit that tasted like sour cherries and made his mouth pucker. He was about to comment on it when he noticed Maggie staring into the jungle. We've got company, she said softly. A tan man with a thin wispy beard, filthy khaki pants, a tattered shirt and bandana stepped into view. He raised his arm forward. See Kyle. For a moment, no one spoke. Then Indy raised his arm. See Kyle. Where is Professor Wuller? The man said in heavily accented English. We wait and we wait. The air professor is on his way, Indy answered in his best German accent. What is going on here? Que pasa aquí, hombre? The invitation to speak, uh, respond in Spanish led to a rapid flurry of commentary with abundance of slang and cursing and hand-waving. Indy got the gist of it. He and his men weren't happy about the situation. They were constantly under threat from the natives. And something about a grandmother that he couldn't understand. Did you get that, Indy? Maggie said, her voice still quiet, measured. He and his men apparently are guacados, villagers, hired by Boer to secure the pyramids from the Indians. But it's not working. They captured the tribe's matriarch on Boer's orders and are threatening to kill her if the ghost people attack them again. Tell them to take us to the pyramids so we can see for ourselves. The pillager shook his head vehemently. I know go there. Too dangerous. You go, you die. Archie looked about uneasily. Maybe we should listen to this man. He knows He knows about this place. We know very little. We'll see about that, Indy said. After all, we didn't kidnap the old lady. He asked the man for his name. Como se llama? Sudao. Okay, Sudao. You wait for Air Professor Voller, and we'll go to the pyramid. Sudao frowned. You don't wait for your army? Sometimes you don't need the army. We'll talk and negotiate with the natives. Sudao shook his head. They know do business with you. you. They will kill you. After Sudao led them back to the trail and they headed toward the pyramid, Maggie began to feel uncomfortable, worried. Indy definitely didn't shy away from trouble. He'd no doubt faced his share of danger in the past. But that was then, and this was now. Who knew what they were going to encounter? Was it even worth it to follow this old, this old professor's wishes? There was a fine line between heroic behavior and bloody stupidity. Whatever happened today would determine which path they were following. Aren't you concerned about what Sudal said? She asked, as they walked several paces behind Archie, who surveyed the trail for booby traps. We didn't kidnap the old lady. They did. We separate ourselves from the Bocanos and Voler. We're the good guys. Considering that you still want to break into the pyramid... How are the ghost people going to know we're any different from the others? Indy rubbed his neck. I haven't figured that part out yet. Great. So far, stupidity held the upper hand on this adventure, she thought. After an uneventful hour, walking through intense humidity, in and out of the harsh sunlight, Archie abruptly stopped. At first, Maggie thought he had found another trap. Instead, he was staring at 
a clearing containing a circle of grass huts. If this was where the ghost people lived, they were nowhere in sight. The place looked abandoned. Appropriate for a ghost tribe, she decided. Nearby, a tree was marked with a now familiar double cross symbol. The village could be rigged with booby traps, she said. Maybe they don't need them, Archie whispered. The ghost people, Jacques whispered and pointed. White faces poked out of the jungle, peering around the leaves the size of his head and through drooping branches so green that their painted faces seemed surreal. Dark eyes, high cheekbones, prominent noses, and ebony bangs. Descendants of the Mayans, she thought. Arrows and rogans protruded from the greenery, aimed directly at them. We come in peace, Indy said. Good luck with that, she thought. An arrow whistled past Indy's shoulder and slammed into a tree next to him. Jacques snapped out his gun, a mistake. A half dozen arrows and darts penetrated his chest and neck. One arrow passed through his neck. His gun fired once harmlessly into the air before he collapsed. Instantly, the ghost people emerged from the forest surrounding the survivors, and all Maggie could see were knives and spears, blowguns and arrows, and angry eyes. Now what? At least they weren't all immediately killed, Indy thought. That was good, or was it? Maybe they faced a painful, protracted death. Being flayed came to mind or roasted on a low fire, or both. They were quickly tied together and dragged down a trail. No one among the ghost people seemed to be in charge, but they knew exactly what to do and where to take them. When he was here as a grad student with Kingston, they'd never seen the ghost people. Kingston had kept assuring Indy they were nearby, but the protectors, as he called them, stayed out of sight. Kingston had already made several trips and had worked out an arrangement with them. However, when the Guacanos arrived, Kingston had feared the, the agreement would collapse. Fortunately, Indian Voler had managed to drive the pillagers away. Who would have guessed that years later, he and Voler would be back and Voler would be working with the Guacanos and Indy would be a captive of the ghost people. He felt a sense of familiarity and realized that they were walking past their old campsite. A minute or so later, the jungle trail fell away, opening to a plaza with three pyramids draped in vegetation, one dominating the other two. They were hustled forward towards the large pyramid. As they moved around the side, more ghost people appeared. An old man, probably the chief, was seated on a thatched throne and surrounded by men in loincloths whose bodies were painted white, the chief wore a garment decked with feathers. He held a shield blazing with that ever-present symbol of protection. Indy scanned the area and realized the throne had been placed in front of the blocks that Kingston's diggers had removed to enter the pyramid. Indy was pushed forward towards the throne. The chief seemed fascinated by Indy's whip, which still hung from his belt. He conferred with a younger man who was missing an arm below the elbow. Indy took a cautious step forward and said the one word that he hoped the chief would recognize. Indy tapped his chest. Kingston. The chief lif lifted his head, stared into Indy's face. A good sign, Indy thought. People who are about to kill a captive usually avoid looking into their faces. The chief turned to the younger man again, said something to him. To Indy's surprise, one arm spoke up, addressing Indian Spanish. No, Eres Kingston. 
and he responded that he had come here with Kingston and chased away the Coqueros. Now more of them were back, causing trouble. Los Coqueros no son mis amigos. One arm, and the chief exchanged a few words, then laughed. He says that Kingston told him that one day a man would return and he would have a long snake sticking out of his pants. That was something we all waited for, especially the women. He laughed again, and Indy hesitantly joined in. Did you get that, Indy? Maggie laughed. Or do I need to translate? Ha, I got it. One arm continued in slow, halting Spanish. He thinks that you have the snake hanging on your side, but that it will disappoint the women. He felt Maggie poke him in the side. They were making progress, but Indy knew that anything could happen yet. The humor could be a way of easing the tension before a kill. He looked about furtively for a way to escape, but didn't see any possibilities. Even if they did get away, the warriors could easily hunt them down. They were in the ghost people's territory after all. Show him the jade sphere, Archie suggested, stepping forward. Instantly, one of the warriors jabbed Archie with a spear. Archie held up his hands and backed away. Maggie, meanwhile, took a chance by asking Winner about his missing limb. He scowled at her for half a minute, and the ear crackled with tension. Then his face softened, and he told her that when he was a boy, he'd been attacked by a panther while hunting with his older brother. His brother died trying to save him. Two days later, he was captured by white hunters from another tribe, taken down river to a white settlement. He survived the injury, but his arm was cut off. He lived with missionaries for several years, then found his way back to his people. So that's how you learn Spanish, Maggie said. He nodded, then turned to Indy. Kingston lied to us. He said he would not tell anyone about this place, that he would protect us. Now others have come here, and they also say they are with Kingston. But they kidnapped Great Mother and tried to enter the Temple of the Cosmos. Now you come to cause more disturbances. Indian knew what was coming next. The ancestors had to be appeased, balance restored, and that meant sacrifice. I have something to show you, Chief. He slowly and carefully removed his pack and took out the leather pouch. The warriors tensed, their weapons ready to strike. Indy gently removed the jade sphere, held it as if it were a bomb about to explode in his hands. The warriors stepped back, murmuring and whispering. We have come here to return the sacred sphere to the Temple of the Cosmos, where it belongs. Professor Kingston gave me instructions where to put it. It's very powerful. No one should touch it. One arm conferred with the old chief. Indy thought he had gotten the upper hand. After all, he had promised to leave the Jade Sphere in the pyramid where it belonged. But the chief had one request. He says, you can enter the pyramid, but first you must save the great mother from the grave robbers. So that was it. I'll do everything I can to get her back. One arm clasped Maggie's elbow. She stays with us until you come back with the Great Mother. If you fail, she will die. Twelve. The Great Mother. Who is the Great Mother? Archie asked as she walked away from the pyramids, guided by several young warriors. I've got an idea who she is, and if I'm right, we could be in trouble. Who is she? 
I met her once. That was enough. It was after my spat with Buller. He'd been sent away, and the Volcanoes were gone, too. Kingston was feeling good and asked me if I wanted to meet an old woman who lived in a tree. Like a monkey? Yeah, like a monkey with a bad attitude. Who is she? A Mayan? European. From Belgium, I think. She came to Panama during the gold rush to work in the oldest profession. I see. But how did she get in the tree? One of the old gold miners fell in love with her. They decided to get lost together and went into the jungle to make a new life. Supposedly, they took a trunk of gold nuggets with them. They used the nuggets to trade for supplies a couple of times a year. When her lover died, she moved even deeper into the jungle and built her treehouse. That was about 30 years ago. The Indians didn't bother her, Archie asked. They considered her a holy being. The return of one of the sky goddesses, or great mother. They moved on in silence. Archie was relieved that they didn't have to worry about booby traps as long as they were being guided. But he worried about Maggie, worried about what was happening to her right now, and worried about how they were going to save her life. Somehow they had to get the old woman away from Sudao and the gang and make it back to the pyramids with her in tow. I understand why the ghost people want her freed, Archie said, but why would they consider a woman of her nature be a goddess. You'll see. She's really quite fierce. She would have to be fierce to live out here for so long, Archie agreed. When Kingston and I arrived at her treehouse, she threw pots and pans at us and shot several arrows. We had to hide behind trees until Kingston convinced her that she'd met him once uh, and they were friends. What was her treehouse like? A zoo. We spent the night with monkeys and birds and in the morning, a panther walked right through the place. He said he was her friend. After half an hour of walking, Indy realized the warriors were no longer visible. They'd simply blended into the jungle. He stopped. I think we're close to where the Guacaros are holding the old woman. We've got to pretend we're Nazis again. We'll tell Sudeo that we were attacked and that you and I got away. Hope they believe we escaped, Archie said. They moved forward and quickly reached a clearing near a tributary. Indy pointed out the treehouse 50 feet above the ground. They started forward, but Indy stopped when he spotted Sudeo standing near, the, near a river. He was about to call out to him when he noticed a tall blonde man and two others step out of the sh shadows, Magnus Voler and two of his Gestapo buddies. Indy motioned to Archie and they both moved back out of sight. This is no good, Indy, Archie whispered. How are we going to rescue old mother? It's great mother. Don't know yet. Stay here out of sight. I'm going to try to work my way closer and see what I can find out. The old woman in the cage looked pathetic. A skeleton wearing rags, straggly hair, skin like wrinkled leather, Lola thought, as he waited on the riverbank for his jungle assistant to paddle ashore. Instead of keeping the old woman tied up in the treehouse, Sudeo and his grave-robbing compatriots had imprisoned her in a bamboo cage that hung from a rope that stretched across the river. To Voler, it was clear that they were making more work than necessary. They had to paddle out and feed her, tie her hands, gag her at night, and keep a pair of guards here constantly to ward off the Indians. 
Did you see how she fought me? Sunil said in broken English when he reached shore. She's a devil, an old devil, and very strong. Boner wanted to take Sudeo by the neck, throttle him, and throw him to the caiman that were swimming below the dangling cage. Instead, he turned his back on him and walked away from the river. You should have just tied her up in the treehouse, gagged her, and left her there. Imbecile or not, Boner still needed his help. Sudeo hurried after him. She's very wild, like an animal. We couldn't keep her up there with us. Boner shook his head in disgust. Her people could have attacked, killed all of you, and rescued her. No, we guard her at night. We shoot them if they try to get her with a canoe or climb out to her. If they cut the rope, she falls in the river and drowns. No, her people won't try to save her. Maybe Sudel wasn't so stupid, Boner thought. After all, these common pillagers were so different from archaeologists. They knew how to find artifacts and how to sell them. Of course, Quaqueros, like Sudeo and his buddies, didn't care about theories or legends, not unless they added value to what they dug up. He realized Sudeo was still talking, explaining how he gave the old lady food and water twice a day by passing it to her on the end of a long pole. Taking her captive had been a good idea, Bowler's idea. If the ghost people thought so much of her, they wouldn't attack and take the chance that she would be killed. That assumption so far had proved correct, in spite of the cage or the river. He could smell food cooking in the treehouse. Night would fall within an hour. He posted his men on the ground, then climbed the rope ladder, with Sudeo scrabbling up behind him. He had more important matters to think about than the old lady. Jones wanted to get into the pyramid as much as he did. They were on the same quest and both knew that this, pure, that this jungle expedition was just an information-gathering journey. The real search lay ahead beyond the jungle. Unfortunately, information was in short supply right now. Boer had sent a couple of his men to find out what happened to Jones, but they hadn't returned. With each passing hour, the likelihood of seeing them again diminished. He conceded they were probably lost to the savages. But then Jones might have suffered a similar fate. Tomorrow morning, he would find out. Bendy overheard just enough of Bowler's remarks. He had a good idea of the situation now, as he worked his way back to Archie. I was worried about you, Archie said. It's getting dark, and you are still gone. Dark is good. It means we don't have to stay hidden. Bendy explained his plan, and a few minutes later, as night settled over the jungle, they moved into the clearing and headed toward the river. A symphony of croaking and churring, growling and screeching accompanied them as the nighttime jungle came alive. I still prefer city life, Archie remarked, glancing around uneasily. And he took a side long glance toward the illuminated treehouse. The smoky smell of roasting meat drifted their way along with a sound of laughter. Let them chuckle all they want. They won't be laughing later. I hope Maggie is all right, Archie said. I suppose they fed her a meal. I wouldn't mind one myself. And he touched his lips with his index finger, then pointed at a guard seated on the riverbank, smoking a cigarette near a low-burning fire. They moved quietly closer, and then they nodded to Archie, and then and they moved apart. A few moments later, Archie strolled up to the guard. Excuse me, where would I find the lady who lives in the treehouse? 
The astonished guard jumped up, reached back for his rifle, but Indy was already, had already snatched it. Looking for this? He slammed the butt of the rifle against the side of the man's head and he slumped to the ground. Indy, watch out! Another guard that neither of them had seen leaped at Indy, his knife flashing through the firelight. Indy danced away from him. The man lunged at him, jabbing the knife. Indy ducked low and the guard tumbled over Indy's back, the knife penetrating just the inky air. Indy grabbed for the rifle, but the man swung his legs around and knocked Indy's feet out from under him. He leaped forward, raised the knife. Archie slammed him in the head with a stout smoldering log from the fire. Sparks flew, drifting into the dark like fireflies, and the guard dropped down next to his companion. Indy pulled a length of rope from his pack. Tie them together before they wake up, then cut off their sleeves and gag them. I'm going for the old lady. Indy had been so preoccupied with the guards that he didn't have a chance to see where she was being held. But now he saw the cage in the moonlight hanging just above the water, suspended by ropes that were tied to trees on either side of the river. A figure lay curled in a fetal position on the bottom of the cage. He had to move fast before a shift change brought new guards to the river. He approached one of the trees supporting the cage and climbed up the trunk until he reached the rope. He swung out away from the trunk, dangling as he made his way toward the cage, one hand over the other. As he approached the cage, he realized that in his rush, he hadn't thought out his plan well. His weight was causing the cage to sink towards the water. How did the old lady's captor, captors bring her food? Certainly not this way. He probably paddled to the cage in a dugout that was hidden somewhere along the river. Too late now, he was almost there. The old lady, Flora, that was her name, was sitting up, staring at him. Her hands were tied behind her back. A rag was stuffed in her mouth. No doubt she'd given them a hard time. His feet now dragged in the water. That was when he saw red, gleaming eyes in the moonlight, caimans. They circled the cage, ready for the kill. Eddie quickly lifted his feet and kept going. He could barely hold onto the rope now and felt enormous relief when he reached the cage and climbed on top of it. The bottom of the cage suddenly sank below the surface of the water. Several feet from the cage, one of the ropes was beginning to unravel. If it snapped, the cage would fall into the water and Flora would drown. She screamed into the, her gag, swung her head from side to side, threw her body right to left, right again. Sorry, Flora. I'm in a hurry. I've got to get you out of there. Indy started crawling down the side of the cage toward the door, but the cage tilted and he sank into the water to his waist. Luminous pairs of red eyes shot through the water toward him. He quickly scrambled back, up, aware that the caiman was snapping at his boots, lifting up out of the water onto its powerful legs, using its tail to propel it. It splashed back into the river. The cage kept sinking deeper and deeper, and the rope groaned under his weight. No time to lose. He slammed his boot against the bamboo cage, but it bounced away. He wished his heel between two pieces of bamboo and pulled with his fingers as he pushed with his heel. The bamboo slowly spread, then one piece snapped. He jammed his other boot down, pulled and pushed, and the cage started coming apart. He worked his legs through the opening and continued widening it as he pushed his hips through and lowered himself into the water. I'm getting you out of here, Flora. Do you remember me? 
He, he told her his name, explaining that he'd visit her with Kingston. She stared at him with wild eyes as he took out his knife so he could free her hands. First, he pulled out the rag from his mouth, and she shouted and screamed and kicked him. Then he tried to quiet her, but she kept yelling, and he couldn't understand any of it. It was no use. He stuffed the rag back in her mouth. When you calm down, I'll take it out. He cut the rope, binding her hands, but he was ready for her when she started swinging at him. He caught her arms and pulled them down. Look, Flora, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm taking you out of here. If you stop fighting me, it'll be a lot easier. He let go of her hands, and before she could hit him again, he lifted her by the waist and raised her up to the opening. She barely weighed 90 pounds, he guessed. At first, she struggled to remove the gag. Then she reached up and grabbed the cage. He pushed harder, and she worked her way out through the opening. This time, she didn't scream a good sign. He figured he'd have to carry her on his back in order to get her ashore. He hoped she would stay calm so he could hold on. But by the time he crawled to the top of the cage, she was gone. She climbed up on the rope on her own, hanging upside down, grasping it with arms and legs. Indy followed her, preferring to go hand over hand, his legs dangling. But the rope was too low to the water, and he had to duplicate Flora's method. Moving along with surprising speed, she was already halfway to the shore when Indy realized that he wasn't going to catch up with her. Imagine her bolting back to her treehouse and getting caught all over again and disappearing into the jungle. No, he couldn't let that happen. Archie, where are you? He yelled, tried to yell and whisper at the same time. No answer. He picked up speed before it was just a dark shape near the shore now. He yelled for Archie again, this time louder. Still no answer. Then he heard Flora screeching and babbling again. She was fighting someone on shore. Maybe two new guards had shown up, disabled Archie, and now struggled with Flora. He swung his legs down, dropped into the shallow water, and scrambled towards shore. Now stop it, lady, just stop it. And he was relieved to hear Archie's voice, and he almost laughed when he saw the little woman holding her own against him as he tried to keep her from escaping. Help me, Indy. He hurried toward the pair, stumbled, got to his feet, and groaned as he saw two more armed men rushing forward. They stopped, raised pistols, Magnus Volder's agents, and he thought, and he was caught flat-footed, unable to attack or flee. Arrows struck one of the men on the side, the other in the neck. More arrows flew, piercing deep into both men. He cried out, gasped and groaned, and dropped like flies to the ground. Then he spun her out to see several warriors, bows drawn. One threat eliminated, he thought and a new one to confront. The warriors aimed their arrows at Indy and Archie. Maggie floated three feet above the ground, unable to move her arms or legs. At the insistence of her guards, she'd crawled into the hammock, hanging between two trees a short distance from the pyramids. Then they'd tightly tied strips of vines around the hammock holding her in place. It didn't matter that she had no interest in running or hiding. The ghost people wanted her secure and fixed one place. Darkness had fallen long ago and the jungle had closed in around her. It seemed that with each passing hour, the chances that Indy and Archie would find the Great Mother, get her away from her captives, and bring her back were less and less. She tried not to think about what might have happened to them. The possibilities were too numerous to consider, 
and most of them held deadly outcomes that left her stranded in the jungle, captive dependent on people who weren't exactly sympathetic to her plight. Even the Nazis might be preferable. She tensed as a snarling issued from the underbrush. A crunching sound followed, then a raspy breath. She slowly shifted her gaze toward the jungle and her blood froze, green cat eyes. The creature's sleek head was nearly le level with her hammock. The panther hissed, bared its gleaming white teeth, and crouched, ready to pounce. Eddie didn't move, but Flora rushed over to the ghost people and spoke fluently in a Mayan dialect. She was no longer screaming and thrashing. Now she seemed to be directing them. Warriors abruptly lowered their bows, then disappeared into the jungle. Flora scowled at Indy, then motioned for him and Archie to follow. The ghost people and Flora moved swiftly along the trail, and Indy was concerned that Archie was going to fall behind and get lost. Hurry, we're going to lose them. I'm going as fast as I can. Indy finally slowed for him, and the others disappeared into the night. Sorry, Indy, I'm too tired to go any faster. It's all right, we'll find our way. But it wasn't long before Indy realized they were lost. They continued on. There was no clear trail anywhere. Just trees and more trees, brush and more brush, the endless lush greenery. Finally, they stopped. Maybe we'll have better luck in the morning, Archie suggested, stretching his arms. At least, when I go to sleep, the jungle disappears. I dream of San Francisco, my family, and my friends. Your life, Indy said. My life, yes, but before the Nazi bastard came after me. Nothing has been the same since he entered my shop and demanded to see the jade sphere. A chatter of animal sounds, cooing, cawing, howling, screeching, snorting, seemed to grow louder. The underbrush rustled nearby, causing Ar Archie to move closer to Indy. On second thought, it might be safe to, safer to continue on our way. Whatever way that might be, a branch snapped, alerting Indy to the sound of approaching footsteps. He reached for his knife. Something was coming their way, and it was close. Too quiet for a peccary, but not a panther. He tensed, raised the knife, squinted into the jungle, waiting for something to burst out of the underbrush. A moment later, Flora emerged, as if she'd been walking on a sidewalk in a park. Hands on hips, she shook her head. She was completely adapted to the jungle life. She was at home here, as much as a panther or a howler monkey. You saved me from the cage, she said in slow English. Now I will save you from the jungle. Follow me. Indy and Archie exchanged a look, then headed after her. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay 
mystical.